Good morning, beloved. Happy Thursday morning. I am very happy to be here. Sunny day, summer is here for good. Technical difficulties already. So glad to have you here. Glad to be here. So yesterday, uh, there were some questions that came up. Uh, there's a lot of questions about this. Probably one of the most controversial subjects that I run into when it comes to Christendom and Christian traditions, and that's regarding the Levitical laws. Is it okay or not okay for a man of the book to eat unclean food, to eat, to follow the health laws that are followed by our Jewish friends? Now, I have heard, the, well, I know the majority of people, especially in the West, uh, don't subscribe to this. They think uh, whenever you bring that up or whenever you keep these traditions, it's always, well, that's a Jewish thing. This, this topic came up yesterday, and this is I hadn't brushed up on this for several years. I spent all morning going back through the good book and making sure that I understood my position on this. I want to talk about this briefly uh, and give you some, um, some things to think about. So let's go back to the very, let's go back to the very uh, beginning, right? The very beginning here. I'm going to pull up a window here for myself here. Bear with me here. So what are we talking about? So in the book of Leviticus, in the Old Testament, as the children of Israel came out of Egypt after 400 years in bondage, you have to remember that after 400 years in bondage, they probably weren't in the best condition. They were, they were the slave class. Do you think the Egyptians would allow them to have higher education, uh, to better themselves or improve themselves in any way? No. And after 400 years, you know, that's multiple, multiple generations, many generations that were born into slavery. So what you have essentially are a very simple people, almost childlike or infant-like. They didn't know anything. They weren't educated. You know, there's nothing against them. It was just the condition that they were in. Of course, the suppressor or the oppressor is not going to invest a lot of time and money into the slave class. So when Moses led this rabble out of Egypt into the, into the Sinai desert, he was dealing essentially with people with the intellect of children. And so there were a lot of things that he had to get them up to speed on. And one of the things that was covered in the many in the laws of Moses was what is proper to eat and what is not proper to eat. And we have the Levitical laws. And the big, the big offender, the one that always comes up, that's, it's always a big stumbling block for a lot of you know, Western Christians, is the pork. And they'll say, well, it's the Jewish thing. It's the Jewish thing. So what it says here in the Le Le Levitical law, if we go back to chapter 11, I'll just read it quickly here. It says, and the swine, though he divide the, clo divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean to you. So when is the first reference to this clean and unclean? What does that mean? Well, in the original, in the garden, in the original, before sin came upon us, there was no death. There was no eating of animals. Our, our, the, the Adam and Eve, our, our ancestors, they were essentially vegetarians. That was the ideal for God, that there wouldn't be any death. There wouldn't be anything like we have today. And if we go down to the very last book of the Bible, we have a little bit of a glimpse and insight of the book of Revelation of what it's going to be like when we're reunited. And will there be steaks? Will there be filet? Will there be pork chops in the kingdom? Oh, there will not because there will no longer be death. 
we're told that the that the even the lion, even those animals that are ravenous carnivores, will be vegetarians. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more prey predator. We will all eat from the tree of life. So we see the ideal, which is vegetarianism from the beginning, and then we see ultimately the end, which goes back to that. Now, the very first mention, and I think it's important to go to this, is that in the book of Noah, when Noah built that great ark, he was told to do something very specifically, the animals, two by two. We all know the story, right? However, one thing a lot of people that don't know or don't read it personally will, will be interested to learn is that the distinction between the clean and the unclean was made back then. Now, was Noah a Jew? No, he was he, he was the patriarch. You know, we are all descendants from that family. So this applied to Noah as well as all the descendants. Definitely not Jewish, but there was a distinction even back then between the clean and the unclean. How do I know this? Well, he was instructed very clearly. Of the unclean animals, two by two, male and female, but of the clean, seven by seven. Well, why? Why seven of the clean and why two of the unclean? Well, it was an emergency situation. God knew that all of the vegetation had been destroyed in the flood, and when they came out on the other side, the new antediluvian people, there wouldn't be anything growing, and that, that food, that those animals, that was an emergency measure of the clean to feed the people. And it was, there was a provision that was made. So there was a distinction even then, before the Jews, in the days of Noah, that it was, there was the clean and there was the unclean food to eat. So we have that. So the biggest argument, the one that always comes up to people who are taking things out of context, is Peter's vision. Let's go back here and read this uh, really briefly. It's not very long, uh, but this is important, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll demonstrate why here at the end. So we have in the book of Acts, now this, where this takes place is that this is about you know, three and a half, four and a half, maybe years or so after Christ was crucified, three days in the tomb, and resurrected. So this is four years afterwards. We have Peter working in the early church uh, and, and evangelizing and spreading the gospel. So if you go to Acts chapter 10, we're going to meet, we're going to hear the story right here. There was a man in Caesarea, his name was Cornelius. Cornelius, he was a centurion. He was a, he was a Roman soldier. He was from the band called the Italian Band. Now, this was um, maybe special forces of the day or a, a, a particular regiment of some note. This man was a Roman, but it says here that he was a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house. And he gave much alms to the people and he prayed to God always. Now, this was unusual. We talked about this yesterday, that there were many people from many different cultures that subscribed or worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah, even though they weren't from the Jewish races. I don't know why. Maybe he heard something. Maybe God had spoke to him. But we have it very clearly here that this man is one. He's a Roman, so he's a Gentile. So he's considered unclean by the Jewish people. They wouldn't have been able to touch him. They wouldn't have been able to eat with him, even to step foot through his threshold into his house or vice versa. This would have been strictly forbidden. There was a strict distinction of the Jewish people in those days between the Gentiles and themselves. He was a devout man. 
and he feared God with all of his house. And he gave much alms to the people, and he prayed to God always. So him and his house were actively seeking, were actively serving and worshiping the true God. This Cornelius, the centurion, he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he had looked upon him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? So here he is in his house, this soldier, God speaks to him. He has a message for him. Well, what is the message? Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now that's interesting, isn't it? So what was it that got God's attention? Prayers and alms. Now, are we not told that we cannot buy our way into the kingdom? Right? <laughs> you can't, you can't uh, uh, earn your way by, by good deeds and such. But, well, that kind of flies in the face of that. It seems that it matters. It mattered to God. What was it that got God's attention from this non-Jew? It was his prayers and his alms. He was a praying man. And his family were praying men. Not only that, alms. He was the uh, giving of alms is the giving to the poor, the giving to the poor. Thy prayers and thine alms are come up before a memorial before God, and now send and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose name is Peter. He lodges with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. So he just gave him very clear instructions. There is a man I want you to go meet. He told him the name. He told him the region where he was at and even the house where he would go. Go to this region, go to the tanner's house, and you will find him there. He didn't know why, but he knew that there was something something there. When God tells you to do something, you, you should probably do it. And when the angel which spoke with Cornelius was departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier of them, that waited on him continually, and when they had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So this man was a man of authority. He sent a personal armed escort, you know, some one of his own most trusted soldiers, as along with a couple of his servants, told them the story, told them the vision, and sent them forward. I want you to go and seek an audience of this man, and that's what they did. Well, on the morrow, the next day. They went on their journey, and they drew nigh into the city, and Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So we switched over to Peter here. So Peter is over in Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house. It's about lunchtime. He's getting hungry, and a trance comes over him. A vision comes upon him from God. Now what's happening while Peter is having this vision? Well, these three Gentiles... One soldier and two servants that belong to Cornelius are making their way to see Peter. Peter doesn't know this yet. What Peter saw, he saw heaven open. And a certain vessel descending unto him, as it, as it had been a great sheet, knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, where were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, the wild beasts, the creeping things, and the fowls of the air. So to put this into perspective, Peter falls into a trance. God gives him a vision. Something like a sheet is let down. It's held by the four corners. I don't know with what. And what's inside the sheet? All manner of unclean animals. What could that be? Vultures, catfish, dogs, pigs, whatever. Everything that was unclean. What was an unclean animal? Anything that didn't fit the Levitical laws. Now, this is where 
our, our good intention, many of our people of the book go astray as they stop with this without any context. Context is very important. Context is, is everything. We have Peter with the vision, seeing the unclean animals. Who's coming? Gentiles. Was it at that time permitted for Jews, even the early church, to spread the gospel to the Gentiles? No, it was not. God had never directed them to do that. They were preaching to their own people. They still were following those Levitical laws. Even then, four years after, and Peter spent three and a half years with Jesus. Even then, when God tempted him by saying, hey, I want you to kill and eat these unclean things, what did Peter say? Oh, absolutely not. So let, let us read on. Rise. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said what? Not so, Lord, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So here we are four years after the resurrection of Christ, and Peter is not eating unclean food. Do you think that if Jesus had mentioned this, that Peter would react this way? If this was a part of the conversation, was Jesus there with them for three and a half years, eating unclean food, breaking the Levitical laws with no explanation? No, he was not, because Peter, he led by example. And the early fathers would be, had been emulating and following that example. So here we have after, four years after, Peter, even so, point, he, he's getting a vision from God, even going so far, this was so ingrained in him not to eat these sort of things from his youth that he even argued with God. God told him to do something, and he said no. That's how strongly he felt about the topic. He said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten of anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoken to him again a second time. What, had, what God hath cleansed, that call not common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again unto heaven. So Peter's struggling with this three times. Three times this was let down. Peter argues with God, and God corrects him. Don't call these things unclean. I have made these things clean. Well, if you stopped right there, you can see how the argument is made. Well, God said it's okay to eat everything. Pigs, dogs, catfish, salamanders, vultures, snakes, etc. Right? Well, what's happening? Someone's at the door. Who's at the door? What is this vision about? Do you think the timing of the knock on the door after this vision, do you think the timing may have something to do with it? God did, Didn't God the day before send these men right at this very moment to speak with Peter? Well, what, who were they? Well, they were the Gentiles. So what God is talking about here is it's not the food. It was the first time that God was opening up the gospel to the Gentiles, and he was making that clear, showing him his bigotry, showing him that the Jews had always considered anyone that was not them or Gentile to be unclean. God showed him right there, told him, don't call them unclean. What I have made, I have made them clean. We can verify this if we jump ahead a little bit. We're in Acts chapter 10 to Acts chapter 10, 28. Let me read just something very quickly here. This is Peter said. And he said unto them, now he's, he's relaying a little bit in the future, chapter 28, he's relaying to the other members, the disciples, the other members of the early church, what took place. 
and what this all meant. He had met with Cornelius. He had heard the story about God coming to Cornelius. He knew everything about it. So now he's re relaying the story in the same chapter to his friends, to the early members of the church. And Peter says this, And he said unto them, Ye know that it is unlawful for a man who is a Jew to keep company with or to come unto one of another nation. Right there. He's laying it out. You know this. This has always been our custom, that it is unlawful for us to keep company, to be friends with, to even go into their domicile. We can't have any, even to touch them. We can't have anything to do with them. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So what was the vision about, beloved? Well, Peter just laid it out for us. God has shown me not to call any man common or unclean. Now, when we study the 66, when we study God's word, we're told line upon line, precept upon precept. That's why, beloved, it's so important for you to have a concordance when you're doing deep study into the word. You need to, if you get an idea, if you think that you get an insight about something, well, it needs to be verified. You, it, it, just taking one verse out of context and building a foundation upon it or using that as a justification to do something that you want to do, i.e. eating pork, is lazy. And that is, a, that is the way that a child studies a book or, or that's a child's understanding of life. So that's very clear. Now, if you want to if we want to push this a little bit further, let's go back. Let's jump back a few thousand years to the Old Testament. This is the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, 15. You can look it up yourself. Now, this is the prophet Isaiah, one of the fire and brimstone prophets that foretold many of the prophecies about the, the, re the resurrection, about Jesus, and about the second coming at the end time. And he's speaking right here, giving a little glimpse and insight of what it's going to be like when Christ returns the second time. And the prophet writes this, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and to rebuke with flames of his fire. So this is pretty significant. He's coming with his reward for those who have trusted God, who have given their lives over who have, who have accepted the gift of salvation that's free. He's coming with the reward. And for those that have not, he's coming with, with destruction, with punishment, with judgment. For by fire and his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst eating swine's flesh and the abomination of the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. So right here, this is interesting. Of all of the unclean animals, there seems something particularly offensive to God. or something particularly dangerous or that he does not want us to eat. And that is what? That is the swine. So important that he brings out two animals. He, he equates the eating of swine with the eating of mice. So he says, let's read again. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the garden after an idol in the midst. So he's asked, what are the three things that are going to be marking the people that are lost, the people that are or marked for destruction at the coming of Christ? Right here in this example, there's three things. One, they're chasing after idols. Two, eating swine's flesh and the abomination of the mouse. These people shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Now, those are hard words, right? 
we talked about yesterday. Is the eating of pork, is the eating of these things a salvation issue? Could this dequalify de you or, or disqualify you for eternal life? Well, there are, in my opinion, there are going to be plenty of people in the kingdom that will wake up there that, that, that ate swine, that ate flesh but they ate it in their ignorance. Maybe they didn't know. There's going to be people that smoke and drank and did all sorts of things because they reacted the best they could with the knowledge that they had. But once, you're a made, made, once you are made aware of this knowledge, beloved, then you need to react upon it. You no longer have an excuse. This is not me, my idea. This isn't my opinion. This is the scripture. I'm reading it for you right here. You can go look it up yourself. This is Take it up with God if you don't like it. God cares for us. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to get back as close as possible to the original diet, the Eden diet. And that is not, does not include scavengers. There's two types of animals. There's foragers and there's scavengers. A forager is okay to eat. A scavenger is not okay to eat. Does that clarify it? We can go on. I don't want to belabor the point and go on and on about this, but it's it's quite clear. And you know, and then the other thing that came up yesterday, let, let me finish with this. I think we need to touch upon this one last thing. I think what I was asked about that I wasn't clear on, I had to go back and, and refresh a little bit, was the the book of was it Mark chapter seven. Um, and I want to read that real quickly and then we'll move on. About defilement, what comes within. So some folks were telling me yesterday, and I got emails, said, well, the, the New Testament tells us in the book of Mark that if we pray over our food, then God, God will, will make everything okay. That it won't be anything wrong with it. We just simply have to do that. That's the new covenant for the Christians, uh, is that we simply can eat anything we want to and just pray over it. Well, that's childish. That's a foolishness, that foolish thing to say, and that is completely taking out of context. Are we to take that philosophy? Are, what if our children came to us and said, no, I'm going to eat cake and sugar and candy every single meal uh, because um, I prayed over it? No, I mean, that's foolish. Just everyone knows that. You have to eat a healthy diet. You, there's some foods you can eat, some in moderation. You know, you know what I'm saying? That, that is not something a mature thinking Christian would ever say. But let's get into it. What were they talking about it? We're in the book of chap we're in the book of Mark, chapter seven. So then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem, and now they saw some of his disciples eating bread with defiled, as in unwashed hands, as they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the traditions of the elders. So here we have the disciples are with Jesus. He's kind of an upstart. He's a rebel. He's bringing new ideas to the people. He's drawing attention away from the Pharisees and from the Sad Sadducees. And he is um, causing a stir. He's got their attention. So they actually have spies following him around, following him around, keeping records of what's going on, listening to his sermons and reporting back to the leadership. They're looking for a re reason to find fault or to whatever. And so they accuse the disciples or something. They're watching them and they're preparing to eat and he's watching the disciples eating and they're like, wait a minute, they didn't follow our rules. What were our rules? Well, it says right there. They had all sorts of rules about the washing of cups and the washing of pots and they had this ritualistic thing that God never really commanded them to do, but they had just made these rules up themselves. And they had to go through this laborious process 
and they believed that if they didn't do this and wash everything in a certain way and strain out the gnat, and, and, and it was craziness. It was something that would be almost impossible for normal people to do. It was a burden upon people. But again, when you have people with too much time on their hands, these guys didn't have to work. They were provided for for the people. You sit around and you start inventing things. You start inventing things that, to occupy yourself and your friends. And they laid these heavy burdens upon the people. And the rules at that time upon the people were burdensome. And Jesus came to, to dispel a lot of those things. So they found fault. Here the disciples didn't go through this ritual, this man-made ritual of watching hands and pots and cups in a certain way. And they accused them, you, these guys are defiled. Look at them. Well, what Jesus is, what he's talking about when he explains it to them, it's not that which defiles you because you didn't follow their particular rules. Anything that you, it, you know, it, it, it is, it's nonsense is what he's saying. This had nothing to do with food. What Christ, when he was straightening them out, when he was giving them understanding of what this meant, it had to do with him telling them, look, these rituals don't defile a man. If you don't wash your hands, wash your pots, strain every single gnat out of your food, that doesn't defile you. You're not defiled from that. It is. It, it goes into the stomach and it comes out. It's completely different. That's got nothing to do with food. It said right here at the very beginning, why did they have issue with him? The Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the traditions of the elders. Not the traditions of God, but the traditions of the elders. So that's, that's the summary of Mark chapter 7, 1 through 13. It's not a permission to break the Levitical laws. I mean, in, in, here, here we have in the prophecy at the end times, right? This is very compelling right here. The prophecy at the end times from the prophet Isaiah, what does he say? What's he, when's he talking about? Is he, talk, is he talking about now? He's talking about the future. And what is it that marks the people in the future? as those that, that are set aside for destruction, chasing of the false idols, the eating of swine's flesh, and the eating of mice. Now, is that everything? No, it's not everything. But it is, it, it's, it's important, the fact that he did bring up the swine, that that must be a big point of contention. So that's what that means. This is about ceremonial washing of pots and cups. This is not about making things that were scavengers or unclean food clean. It's, um, it's, it's clear. It's clear. Go, go look it up yourself. It's beyond, beyond discussion. It's beyond discussion. I'll ask you this, beloved. If you sincerely go look into this yourself, do the study on your own, and come to the same conclusion and realize, dang, I've been in the church for a long time, and I never knew this. I never understood this truth before. Is it possible, and I'm speaking to myself as well, is it possible that maybe you're wrong on other things? If you could be wrong on something so fundamental as this, is it possible you could be wrong on other things that are equally important or maybe more important? The Sabbath. Sunday. So how many of us, how many of you, I don't, are going to church and keeping Sunday, doing Sunday worship? Why do you do that? Was the fourth commandment not clearly laid out? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall not work. Which day is the seventh day? Someone, go look at your calendar. Show me which day is the seventh day. It's Saturday. Everyone knows this. Sunday is the first day of the week. If you think so, don't think so, go look at your calendar. 
it'll 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 remind you. The only commandment that starts with remember. So the point I want to make, beloved, is that if you have been so mistaken, and I was for a while as well on this important issue, could you be mistaken on other things? Why do you keep Sabbath on Sunday, on the first day, according, you know, and con contrary to God's commandments? Because the Catholics change the day. You know the Catholics mock you, mock us Protestants and laugh at us that we keep Sunday, the day that they, they changed it. It's their mark of authority as the mother church, according to them. They claim in their catechism, is, someone will ask the question, is, why do we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday? And the Catholic answer is this, well, we changed it. We changed it, and the fact that we had the authority to change God's day of worship, change the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day, is the mark of our authority on, here on this earth, that we speak for God. We change times and rules and laws even. And also, interesting study, if you want to go look at the Catholic Ten Commandments, you'll find out that it's different than the Protestant Commandments. The Protestant hold to the original, the Decalogue, right? But the Catholics have changed it. They have their own. They say, we, yeah, we can change it. We, we are the mother church. We have, that's our, our mark of authority. And they laugh at us. Look, we did this, and you say that you're protesting, that you're separated from us, and yet you do the same thing, and they mock us and laugh at us. This is important, beloved. The day of worship is important. Following these Levitical health laws the best you can is important. God tells us that when, I'm going to paraphrase here, that when we are in error with important things like this, just because maybe we didn't know, we weren't taught, we didn't understand it, he said he winks at our discretion, meaning he, he turns kind of a blind eye to it because we don't know better. But there comes a time in a, in a man's life there comes a time in a child's life, that time when they become aware and start understanding the world around them, that you are faced with new insights or new knowledge or a new interpretation or understanding that you didn't have before. Now you have no excuse. Now you have to make a decision. So you can go forward in, in, in a spirit of rebellion. I don't care what the word of God says. I don't care about the health rules. I don't care what the early fathers did and what they taught and what the late, what the disciples after Christ taught and did. I want to do what I want to do because I'm just stubborn or I like it. I don't care what God says. I mean, I don't know how else, what else to tell you. This is not me. Don't blame me. Don't hate on me for this. I'm just sharing you what I learned. When I learned this knowledge, when it came to me, and I probably wasn't until I was in my mid-30s or so, I made the, made the change, made the correction. And now you're going to have to make that decision as well. So that's kind of kind of where we're at on that whole thing. All right. Let's jump in. Oh, also, prayers to Mr. O Overton. He's not with us today. We have, um, he's driving, and we have some, uh, well, pr prayers for him. Let's jump into our super chats here. We have a super chat from Northern Harvest. Shout out to you. Northern Harvest has been with us for two months. He says, that is, that is a saved man earning God's attention, not his salvation. Keep fighting the good fight. That is a saved man earning God's attention. Yeah. I think we're talking about Cornelius. Yeah. That's very, very interesting, that, that thought. You know, that I had read that many, many, many times. But I'd never really considered the two things. Your prayers and the giving, your giving of alms, your generosity has, has 
come up before God as a memorial. So take note of that. I mean, I'm taking note of that. Do we have an obligation to give alms to people that are in need? Well, I think it's pretty well clear that God is pleased with this. So pleased was God with the prayers of Cornelius, with the giving of alms of Cornelius, that he memorialized his, his great faith in the 66 books. Very precious real estate, 66 books to tell the history of man and God, the history of, intera of God's interaction with man. Very selective group of people, men and women, that are mentioned in here. So a man, a thinking man, needs to take note when you're reading the 66 and when you're seeing these examples that these were examples of faith. These are examples of us, of things that please God and, the, and, and that we should be doing. You know, we need to learn from these things. If Cornelius pleased God, do we want to please God? And how so? Well, be like Cornelius, giving of alms and earnest prayers. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Mr. John Smith, Smoth, shout out to you. Welcome. Who writes, have you dealt with Mark 7.19? Yeah, we just did. Uh, didn't we just do that? Mark 7.19? Yeah. It's pretty simple to deal with. I mean, the things, it, it lays it out in the beginning. What, what was the accusation from the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes? Why do you, your disciples not follow the traditions of the elders or the washing of hands and pots and cups? And then Jesus goes on to explain to them, it is not the washing of pots and cups and hands that defiles you or the lack of. It's that's not it at all. I mean, even a child can read this and understand it. It's, it's not complicated. We have a super chat from Mr. Mark 7. Oh, see, I'm sorry. From, <laughs> it's not from Mark. This is from the Bible. 19, King James Version, 19, because it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. Yeah, he's talking about defilement. Defilement doesn't come from accidentally eating something. You're not going to be defiled, beloved. If you, I mean, how many times have I been over to um, a picnic? or a pizza party, or what have you. What's going to be the most common pizza that you're going to run into? It's going to be pepperoni pizza. What is pepperoni made out of? It's made out of pork, swine, right? So what do you do when you're faced with this? What, what if it's the only pizza? Uh, do you want to be a martyr there? Do you want to be, make, a, you want to make people feel uncomfortable? Uh, you know, do you want to grandstand? Oh, I don't eat, eat swine's flesh. No, of course not. Be loving, beloved. Be loving. Pick the pepperonis off. Is there residual? Is there pepperoni juice on there? Of course. Is that, you know, is God going to be condemned person for that? No, I think that the expression of love, kindness and patience and not grandstanding, I think would be more pleasing to God than just strictly keeping the rules all the time. Not, I'm not giving uh, permission to do this. Just have some common sense. You know, and I have to warn because I fell into this. When you first become aware of something, you know, there's an old saying, there's nothing, there's no one more insufferable than a new convert to something, whether that be an ideology, a hobby, CrossFit, veganism, religion. When you first come to this knowledge, you want to tell everyone and you want to grandstand and you want to be an insufferable fool, right? We've all done that. You're excited about it. You, sh you overshare. So just be careful. Keep this within your family. And if someone asks about, about it, then, then you can explain why. Have these scriptures at the ready. Understand what you're reading and make the case that I did. It's quite simple. 
but don't uh, don't. I mean, I I don't think it's a it's a good idea to make people feel uncomfortable. Just have some common sense about it. We have a super chat from Mr. Joel Davis. Shout out to you, Joel. Joel writes Romans fourteen. If you are convicted about food, then you should follow the Levitical laws. If I am not, then not. Either way, it should not be a point of contention between believers. Well, there is no point of contention. It's very clear. It's laid out what it is that God expects of us. This isn't something that is open to interpretation. And, and I don't know if you're implying that or not. We're not. We've had enough of that. We want to know what the truth is here. We've had enough of religions. We've had enough of bickering amongst Protestants over meaningless details. This is not a meaningless detail, beloved. The Sabbath is not a meaningless detail. The Sabbath in the right day, the seventh-day Sabbath, the keeping of it, is in the fourth commandment. And it starts with the word remember, the only one that starts with the word remember. And it's, it's, it's beyond reproach. Or it's beyond discussion. It, it really is. I mean, it's... it's I'm the messenger here. Go read it for yourself. Goodness, we have a super chat, a $49 super chat from Anarchy Tattoo Studios in the Bronx. Good to see you back, brother. I haven't seen you for a couple weeks. I sure do appreciate that. And thank you for supporting this ministry and supporting us. We're really grateful. No comment, just prayers. We have a brand new member, Mr. Split Wood Acres. Shout out to you, Split Wood. Sure are happy to have you here as well. Our friend Josh C. is in the comments. He says, and he's been with us for four years, Mr. Josh. Shout out to you. Thank you, bro. Thank you, beloved. Regarding the Sabbath, the Jews in the Old Testament and the New Testament followed God's lunar calendar based on the new moon. The seventh day, the Sabbath, was never on the same day on the lunar calendar. Well, I've heard that, I've heard that argument before, that point. And the, the simple fact, the, the fact of the matter is this, is that they have kept track from the beginning. They keep track of their genealogies. They keep track of their family lineages. They're very diligent about this. They're very, very diligent about it. And I assure you that the Sabbath, the rotation of Sabbath that they keep has not been lost. They continue, they've always kept it. There's always been a sect. There's always been a group of them that have kept the calendar and kept the Sabbath. And they still do today. They still do today. And the Sabbath that they keep today is in is the seventh day, the same that we have. So you're on safe grounds with that. You're definitely on, on safe grounds with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know uh, what else I have to say on that. Um, but look into it yourself. Find out. We have to be flexible in these times, all of us. We have to put pride out of our heart and understand that it's hard to change when you're older, especially as a man, especially when you think you know a thing or two. When you get in your 50s and 60s, these, a, a, a radical realization like this that goes, flies in the face of everything you've ever been taught, everything you've ever learned, everything you've ever done is a difficult thing to swallow. And it's hard to accept, it's hard to accept and it's hard to change something that is so ingrained in you when you don't have any real consequences. But let's say that you come to this knowledge and you're a pastor of a Sunday-keeping church with a thriving congregation. How many of them know this truth and are afraid to admit it because they know that they'll lose their position, they'll lose their authority, they'll lose their church because the congregation is not going to be ready for this. Maybe a few, but not all of them. 
and they'll probably have have his head. So it's a tough thing. You know, I told you guys over and over again, there's going to be in the end times here, there's going to be difficult decisions that need to be made. God is going to test you personally, physically, mentally. He's going to test you. How committed are you? Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to listen? You've been an heir. I'm showing you the truth now. Are you going to remain stubborn, pig-headed? Are you going to refuse the, the light that I'm shining into your life, into your knowledge because of tradition? Are you just like the Pharisees in those days who were running around instead of listening to the word of God in, from the very mouth of his son through the sermons of Jesus Christ, listening to, the, to these new revelations, these new insights that was God is bringing to his people. Were they listening? Were they taking it down, taking notes? Were they making changes? No. They were running around in the old, the old wineskins looking for ways they could trip him up, charge him, condemn him, put him to death, and get rid of him, be rid of him because they were unwilling to change. That spirit of pig-headedness, that spirit of rebellion, is in us. The same thing. Here you have truth from the good book, from the 66, right here. Two truths on the Sabbath and eating habits, proper eating habits. How are you going to respond to it? I mean, you can demonize me. You can disagree with me. This is not my words, as I said. This is coming from the 66. We have a super chat from MDB831, shout out to you, brother, who writes, Sabbath is supposed to be a blessing and a joy, not a burden. Exactly, good point. And that was one of the big things that Christ came to teach. As I said earlier, the Jews had so many rules on the Sabbath. You can't do this, you can't do that. Remember the story of Jesus when he was about to heal the man with the withered hand. Let me paint the story for you. He's in a small area, crowded. There's a whole crowd of room. They're all around him. This is a Sabbath day. <clears throat> the spies are all around. These Sadducees, these Pharisees, these scribes that followed him, that dogged him along his whole ministry, taking notes, reporting back. The, the Stasi, the secret police. <clears throat> he said they looked upon him to see, was he going to break the Sabbath? How was he going to break the Sabbath? By healing on the Sabbath. So he proposed a question to them. He said, which one of you you arrogant Pharisees. Which one of you on the Sabbath day, if you have a cow or an animal, livestock that falls into a pit, won't immediately go lay hands and pull that animal, save that animal from, from death out of that pit? Which one of you would not do that? Well, they all knew. There had always been an exemption for that. That was perfectly fine to do. Yet you had to follow all these arbitrary rules and you couldn't start a fire and you could only walk so far. But the moment something touched on your finances, which were finances were, I mean, having livestock, that was everything. The moment that any inconvenience or anything touched upon your finances where you might be, be harmed in the pocketbook, well, then that was perfectly fine. Yeah, we can do that. But it wasn't okay to heal someone that was suffering their entire life with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. He brought that up right there to, to point that out. He healed that man right in front of all of them, and they all conspired against him. Look how hard their hearts were. So hard that they couldn't, they just witnessed a miracle. They just watched it. They watched a man with a withered, shrunken hand watch it restored back to normal. A miracle of God. So hard were their hearts that they went out in vengeance trying to use that to destroy him. 
It gives you a little insight as to what was going on in the time. Are you so hard-hearted? Are you one of those guys? Are you trying to destroy me? Are you hearing this truth from the scripture and you are now running around trying to hurt me or harm me because I brought this to you? This isn't mine. I don't want to do this. I, I, I just want to get along with people too, but I got you know, you, when God tells you to do something and makes, gives you a truth, I mean, what, what other choice do I have but to share it, how I understand it? We have a super, yeah, and the Sabbath is not a, not a burden. So that's a good point uh, that MDB makes is that it was a burden at those times. The leaders of the times had made so many rules upon people that when Sabbath came around, they hated it. They hated it. They had to follow all these rules, and there was always someone looking at them, and they were going to get in trouble if they did this or they did that. Do you think that they enjoyed it? Do you think that the children enjoyed it? No, of course not. That's why, in my opinion, the rules and the regulations as to what is approved on the Sabbath is so vague. What are they? Well, go back and and read the fourth commandment. There's not a lot there. Keep the Sabbath, sanctify it, keep it holy. On that day you should do no work, nor your maidservant, nor your manservant, nor the servant, or the stranger at your gate, nor your family members, or your animals. Everyone that comes into your house. That means don't have someone coming in working on Saturday if you have a business. Don't have a house cleaner coming on Saturday. Don't make other people work on the Sabbath. Don't, 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 uh, don't, don't put that on anyone, even your animals. Everybody needs a break. That seven-day cycle has been designed. We can work six days, but we need to have a break. And God knew and knows the timing. And it should and it should it shouldn't be a burden. It doesn't have to be a burden. It should be something you look forward to. I look forward to it tremendously, because if you're a worker like I am, with millions of projects, can you imagine having a day that you were guilt-free? You could do whatever you wanted to. You could sleep in a little bit late. You could watch a sports program. You could take your kids out. You go fishing. Whatever you want to do, I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's between you and your God. Go read and, and pray and let the Holy Spirit influence you as to what is appropriate, not appropriate on the Sabbath day. It's not for me to judge you. But it should be a blessing. It should be a blessing, not, not a curse. And that's what Christ was trying to say. Like, you, you men have made, made this hateful to people. I'm, I'm telling you that the, man, the Sabbath was made for, for man. To be a blessing, not man for the Sabbath. Mr. Chris Hall, shout out to you, brother. Thank you for your generosity. Writes, planning on buying some property in southern Utah, at least five acres with a small house, but room for future buildings. And preps and activities. Any tips on what to look for in the land? Water. 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 (laughs) That's what you look for. Water. And know your growing season. Utah, there's a lot of high areas. Growing seasons can be short. It's not a problem. If you do have a a short growing season, you'll have to make provisions for a high tunnel or a greenhouse or a house designed or a shed designed with southern exposure where you can start your seeds early in the house. Because if you wait, like right now, Mrs. W has been starting seeds for the last four weeks in the greenhouse, carefully taking them in and out. We live in in the mountains. We have a very short growing season. We had frost last night. We can have snow into June. So you have to do things differently. So know your area, what the growing season is, and that sort of thing. But water, you know, water is, is, is the most important thing. Three days you can go without water. So what is the water, what is the well situation like there? If you can buy a place that already has a well, 
How deep is the well? How much water does it produce? Is it enough to, to provide water for your family as well as irrigation? Because irrigating is important as well if you're going to really be leaning or depending upon a garden for food. And those of us who are people of the book realize that in the final days, we will not be able to buy or sell. We'll not be able to participate in the economy unless we take the mark of the beast. Now, no one knows for sure exactly what that is. Is it AI? Is it the acceptance of a, a digital currency? Is it um, a, a vaccination? You know, who, who knows what these things are, but we're told not to, not to, to take it. And we'll know, you know, God will wake us up. God will give us the insight and we'll know what that is when the time comes. It will be a difficult decision. If we don't take whatever the mark is, then we will be on our own. We will not be able to buy or sell, participate in the economy. So that means we're, we're relegated to produce our own food or what God can provide for us or just go to the black market or to the underground bartering economy. Water is going to be the future battleground. Water is very, very important. Even with the well, something to, be con to consider, how deep is it? Is it 1,200 feet deep? You know, how are you going to get that water out if you don't have power? So water, a well, spring. If you do have a well, have a plan for an off-grid water solution, meaning a way to get that water out of the ground without electricity. And that would be like we did last year with the simple pump. Or, or the solar pumps. There's a lot of different options. But water is the key. Mr. Josh C., welcome back. Good to see you here, who writes, are you still watching The Chosen? We love it. No, I, Mrs. W. and I watched the first five episodes, I think, this year, and we kind of, we got, we got busy. <laughs> we, we have it. I've been meaning to, but I haven't. I haven't done it. But I have enjoyed what I've seen so far. Mr. Tony Baloney, shout out to you, brother. Welcome. Who, he writes... Really enjoy when we get a chance to dig into the word with you, Cody. Love your perspective on things. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate that. Maybe we should be doing more of that. Um, the live streams are, uh, you know, to do this, this sort of thing, it's a little bit different than, it takes more time. Like, the problem I'm running up against with the live stream is, is, it, is falling right in the middle of my day. And to get, really, before I even start, you know, I've got to have almost an hour and a half of, probably or at least an hour, hour and a half I like to have of, of prep to setting everything up, getting my mind into the space, thinking about it. So, you know, t like 11 or so, I got to kind of pull off what I'm doing and, and get set up for the live stream. And then that can run into three or so. And then it really takes a lot of portion out of the day. And I don't mind doing that. Um, but if we're going to be getting into this sort of thing where I've got to, like we're going to be getting into a word, I've got to read and study. I gotta, I'd like to be able to produce slides, you know, so I could bring them onto the screen so we could all read things together. You know, that's going to almost be a full-time job, uh, to be honest with you, to, to do that. The Bible study would almost need to be, if we were going to do that, we'd almost have to go down to once a week. And I would have the entire week to prep, to do my study, my research, to dig deep into the Word so that I can bring to you guys, uh, you know, the best knowledge that I can and not just my think-so. I don't want to give my think-so. I don't trust my own understanding. We're only safe if we're, if we're giving the word. The answers are in the, in the word. We just have to go find them, and that takes a little bit of time sometimes. We have a super chat from Mr. Marvin Dozer. Shout out to you, Marvin. Thank you for your generosity. I sure appreciate that. Marvin writes, would it be a bad idea for a young proho to find a Mormon LDS girl? Seems like that's where all the trad cons are. 
can't even find them in a normal church. No, it would not be appropriate for you to get involved with a Mormon. Mormons have been despised uh, in this country for a long time, driven out of the East. That's why they had to go to Utah, is because they were so hated and despised by the people because of their, they, they were heretics. Um, they practiced polygamy and, and all sorts of things that are contrary to true Christian understanding and, and doctrines. They have marketed them, themselves very effectively over the last couple hundred years as Christian-like or Christian-light or, or Christians just in another denomination. Even changed their names. The Mormon, they, wanted, they dropped the Mormon because that, that had a, bad, a negative connotation to it, and they picked up Latter-day Saints. Now, before I go hard on the Mormons, this is not about the individual. I'm not criticizing the individual people in these churches, these organizations. And to be quite honest with you, and I think many of you will have the same experience that I have had, some of the kindest, most thoughtful, best people I ever met were Mormons. I would love to have a Mormon as a neighbor uh, over just about anyone else. Just good, God-fearing people and just some of the salt of the earth. It is not those people that I'm criticizing. It is the corrupt system, the organization that I'm criticizing. So let's, let's make that distinction. Let's not be throwing shade on our Mormon friends who are, are, are some good, devout people. Uh, I think a good portion of them. It's the system uh, that is corrupt. God tells us in the book, do not be unequally yoked, beloved, with a member. What that means, or one of the meanings, is don't hook up with someone that has a completely contrary belief system to you. You may think that you're, because she's Tradcon that that's enough. That is not enough because there will be huge points of contention when you have children, when you want to start talking about what church you're going to go to, what baptism is appropriate. The Mormon religion is, it, is at odds with Protestant faith and belief. It's not compatible. They're her, her, it's a heretical system. Um, and it is, is not to be, you don't want to get involved with it. And you certainly don't want to marry one if you're a Protestant. So that is a no bueno um, in my book, in my opinion. And hope is not Proho's plan. If you're hoping that you'll bring her around to your way of thinking, maybe, maybe not. But it could, you, you might be inviting a, a, a snake into your bed and you're going against the instructions of the good book by being unequally yoked with someone that is a non-believer or doesn't follow your belief structure. Very dangerous is something you should not do. And the Mormon church is having its own problems of late, are they not? Good question though. Thank you, Marvin. I appreciate that. That's a very good question. I wish I could give you better news. We have a super chat from Mr. Adam and stuff. Shout out to you, Adam. Adam writes, for live streams are great, especially when the word of God is so present. Love to my brothers. Yes. Well, we've never shied away from that. And I think it's more important now than ever. Um, to, people are looking for truth. And there's very little of it. Everything that they turn to and find is propaganda, lies, or deceit. The, 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 the rock, the rock of ages, the bedrock, is the word of God, the 66. That's a, that's, a, a, that's, a, that's a foundation, it's an anchor that we can cling to that is immovable um, and, and it's not shifting on us and we know where we stand with it. It's quite refreshing, quite refreshing to be honest with you. Goodness, we have a $50 super chat from Build It Nation. Shout out to you, brother. I sure appreciate your generosity. Build It Nation writes, don't know where to begin. Life is just a mess. Single, lonely. I haven't understood God's plan for my life since I was in my teens. 
I know. I've I've felt that way. I know what that's like, man. I, I, I was at that point right before I met Mrs. W. To be honest with you, a very unfulfilled, chasing, you know, just the the life of bars and chasing women, um, hedonistic lifestyle. Uh, you know, everything that goes drinking, all everything that goes along with it. You know, just no point. Just aimless. Thirty five. I was thirty five and going nowhere. Drunk almost every night. Hangover every weekend, sometimes in the middle of the week, um, you know, just that, that, that whole, whole deal. I was rapidly getting to the point of what is the point? I was completely isolated from my family because I had left the Christian cult that I grew up with, with, within, with. So untethered in the world, adrift, lost, no purpose, didn't even know if God was real. And how my life changed in, in, one year was incredible. In one year, God brought me into a good God-fearing church when I had no intention of going, gave me a, 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 the most amazing trad con I could have po possibly hoped for and certainly do not deserve and did not deserve, and everything changed. Now, I'm not going to say that it's all been easy. It's always been a struggle. The Christian walk is a struggle. But there's been a hope and a purpose in life, and that's what more can a man ask for than that. I would like, and I'll tell you, Build It Nation, I will pray for you personally after this live stream um, that you have peace, that God give you direction and a purpose in life uh, like he did for me. And if he did it for me, the sinner that I was, he can certainly, certainly do it for you because I assure you, you haven't done anything or covered the grounds any worse than what I did when I was young. So don't lose hope. Be here. Join us at noon. And we'll learn together, we'll teach one another, we'll draw encouragement and encourage one another, and we'll, we'll see you in the kingdom, brother. Just, just be here and, and don't lose hope. Just get through the day today, get down on your knees, pray, be consistent with your prayer, and wait for amazing things that God has in store for you that may not be what you plan or may not be what you think you wanted, but just be open to new things and opportunities and get ready to move on them. When your emotion, when you feel it, even though your mind might be screaming, don't do this, this is a bad idea, but you just know something to be right, that God is moving upon your heart to do something or to act in a particular way or even just to go talk to someone to get you out of your comfort zone, don't second guess it. React on it and do it immediately. Be Have your ears open, your eyes open, be, be perceive that God has something incoming for you. And we will pray for you, Build It Nation. Hang in there, brother. And thank you for supporting us. We sure do appreciate that. Goodness. We have a super chat from Noah Stumpy. Shout out to you. Noah writes, on the topic of buying land, I live in Alberta, and I feel that getting ahead of life is easier in the USA. Yeah. I feel like the Dave Ramsey way of getting ahead is near impossible in Canada. Your opinions. Well, I... I've never lived in Canada. I, I, I certainly don't disagree with what you're saying, and there seems to be a move upon that. It seems that Canada is, is way ahead of us on, on the moving into the new world order, on the 15-minute cities, on the collecting and confiscation of firearms, of essentially stripping you of your God-given rights. And uh, it's amazing how many Canadians are going along with that. Maybe it's an easy sell because our Canadian friends are so friendly and so nice, and it goes against their nature to be rebellious 
except for the French. <laughs> Maybe you should go talk to some of your French brethren over there on the East Coast. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't speak on it, but I don't, I'm not surprised. With increased socialism, with, with lack of options and flexibility, it's going to be more and more difficult to get out of your situation. Um, but it, nothing is impossible. You know, nothing is impossible. And remember, you know, the stinking thinking. I, I, I want to, something that I was thinking on this morning, and we'll, we'll kind of close with, with this, you know, that God was kind of putting upon my heart and reminding me that be careful what, we, what you say, beloved, the words that come out of your mouth. You know, the good book tells us that, that God keeps track of these things and we'll give an account for every single word. I believe 100% that you can speak yourself into misery. You can speak yourself into failure or even sorrow, sadness, or depression. You can start off the day by everything being bad, being negative, by complaining, by belly aching, and it will manifest. Your day will be bad, most likely. Whereas if you can start optimistic, glad that you have another day, glad that you're above ground drawing breath, even though your circumstances and your situation are not ideal, at least you have an opportunity. Speak positivity. Be positive. Be careful. Be uplifting to yourself. Be uplifting in the words that you say to other people. And don't get into that stinking thinking because that sets the tone for your day. It, it, some people call it manifestation. You know, I don't know if I'm going to go there, but it does matter. These, there are things going on that are much deeper than we understand in the spirit world. And how we speak and how we say and how optimistic we are directly correlates to our successes um, throughout the day. I, I am 100% convinced of that. So don't fall into that trap. I live, into, I live in Canada. Things are going bad. Switch that around. God is changing things. God is tired with the status quo. It's not working. Everything is changing. Knowledge is changing. Power structures are changing. And you are here to get to be part of that. You are in the army of God getting training right now. We're all getting training for the coming battle. Now, this is not a physical battle. I don't advocate violence here. This is a, a, our battle is spiritual against principalities. Hang in there, Noah Stumps, and build it nation as well. I'll pray for both of you as soon as we end. All right. I'm going to shut it down, beloved. We've got, got to make hay while the sun's out. I've got a lot to do today, and I'm going to get out there and get, get doing that. So shout out to Overton. With We wish him well and what he's doing today. He wasn't able to moderate for us today. And special thanks to Mr. Brandon. Brandon was, he did my show notes today, helped us out, gave me the comments and all that. So thank you, Brandon, for stepping in and, and doing this good work. You're doing God's work here. We sure do appreciate it. Oh, we got one super chat sneaking in under the wire. Mr. Back Creek Homestead. Shout out to you. Good to see you here, brother. Back Creek writes, thank you for sharing your thoughts. So many people try to twist the scriptures to fit their agenda instead of reading it with an open mind. And that's absolutely very well put right there. I, if I could have a wish, this just came to me. If I could have multiple wishes, let's say we, we, have, we find the genie in the bottle and the three wishes and such, one of the wishes I would consider would be to be able to go and to open up the 66 books and to read through everything for the first time without any preconceived ideas or notions and to come out on the end with my, an under, a clear understanding 
from the Word of God, not from grandpa or grandma or charismatic preacher or tradition. Can you imagine how refreshing that would be? It would be difficult. It's difficult to do if you were raised in the church. That's why I sometimes I envy I envy people that are coming later in life that maybe have heard a thing or two but never put any credence into it. They get to go in for the first time without being raised with all these notions or these wrong ideas because they are difficult to break, especially if they come at personal cost, especially if they come at personal cost. It takes courage to follow the scripture. You know, the following of the, the Christian, doing the Christian walk is not for wussies. This is a fighting man's religion. This is a man, this is a religion for men of strength and courage and faith. It is not for wussies. Just because wussies have been in charge of it for so long and these soft soap, neutered, castrated, pew-sitting, milk-toast pastors have been preaching that the hippie Jesus, the powerless Jesus, doesn't mean that that's the way that it is. They were preaching what people wanted to hear. The, tinkling, the tickling of people's ears, the smooth words. The true word of God cuts like a two-edged sword. It cuts to the bone. It cuts to the core. And when you hear it, it's a hard thing to hear sometimes because it requires sacrifice. It requires you to make decisions. It requires maybe you to t turn away from friends, from jobs, from, from even religious organizations that you may have been born in. If you come to that realization that the Sabbath day is important and you've been working on the Sabbath day, you're going to have a hard decision to make. That is a decision that you'll have to make. Can you go to work on Saturday with this knowledge, with this understanding, with a clear conscience, thinking that you're walking in the will of God? You know, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. I'm sorry. This happened to me too. I watched men agonize in churches over this decision, knowing that they were going to lose their livelihood if they held true to this new understanding. And they did it. And you want to know what happened on the other end? God provided for them even better some instances than what they had before. This is a test of faith, beloved. If you're not able to accept this, if you're not able to make the sacrifices that may be required of you to follow this, then you're not able to be in the kingdom. You know, that, that, I mean, that, that argument could be made. What happens when you really are going to be tested? What, when there, what happens when there's a gun to the head of your daughter or your son or your wife or yourself? Will you recant then? None of us really know. You know, I'm not up here being a big tough guy saying that, you know, I'll never waver. How could anyone know? That's why, work at, why, why the good book tells us work out your salvation with fear and trembling, hoping and praying that in that difficult time that you will have the courage to, to do what is right and not fail God, as so many have in the past. As we have, how many times have we failed him in the past? Are you tired of failing? Are you tired of making excuses? Would you like to be on the right side of history? Would you like to be an heir to the promise that God has made for those who love him and keep his, keeps his commandments? I do. We have two more super chat. You guys are sneaking them in here. Mr. Noah Stoopy, he writes, I have been following your live streams for the past couple of days especially. Thank you for your time. It is good to be with like-minded men. I agree. I agree. Thank you, beloved. I sure appreciate that. And thank you for that super chat. 
and Mr. Gamer Dave. Good to see Gamer Dave back in. Haven't seen Gamer Dave for a couple days. In the words of Churchill, courage is what it takes to stand up. A speak courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. I butchered that. Let me try, try again. I like Mr. Churchill. In the words of Churchill, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Oh, boy, isn't that tr the truth? It takes a lot less courage to stand up and speak and a whole lot more courage to sit down and listen, especially when you are listening to someone that is in error. Discretion is the better part of valor is one of the truest sayings, one of my favorite sayings I've ever heard or read. Discretion is the better part of valor. Sometimes it makes takes more courage, moral internal fortitude, whatever you want to call it, to stay silent on something, to not expose someone's error than it does to go out there and, and, and to do it. Yeah. Well, we have a lot to think about. Please pray for me, beloved. I sure do appreciate your time. Appreciate the middlemen jumping in and helping out with the super chats and the show and the show notes and all that. I really do. May God bless you and your families. Please pray for us. We need your prayers. You guys are sneaking in another super chat on me here. We got one more from Mr. Bilbo Baggins, who writes, "Always here, but not always talking." There you go. That's a perfect summary. All right. Pray for me, beloved. We'll see you guys in tomorrow's stream.